Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25 and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out A Tad Predictable, hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable, hosted by Kevin DeVries, on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. Hey 
What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast. Today is Friday. It is the 1st of December, and it is cold. Let me tell you. Tis Baltic, as a man might say. Right, we had Europa League action and Europa Conference League action last night. So we will start in the Europa League, the more important of the competitions. Clearly, in Group A, Freiburg beat Olympiacos 5-0, and West Ham won 1-0 away. Tobacco to Pola, a late, late Thomas Suchek goal. So ahead of the final game, in which West Ham will host Freiburg and Olympiacos will play Tobacco to Pola, we know that West Ham and Freiburg are through. It's just now a matter of who tops the group. Should West Ham get a draw in the home game against Freiburg, they will top the group. Freiburg need to win because West Ham have the superior head-to-head, having beaten Freiburg in Freiburg, even though Freiburg have a significantly better goal difference. So, uh, at the moment, it looks like Olympiacos will qualify for the Conference League, but if Bakatsipola beat them, they can sneak through, and it's a 2-2 draw from the first game. So any kind of win for Baka will put them through, though they are three points behind, so it has to be a win. Uh, into Group B. Great win for Brighton. A 1-0 win away to AEK Athens. João Pedro with the only goal of the game. You remember in the first game of the group, Athens went to Brighton and won 3-2. Also in that group last night, Marseille 4, Ajax 3. Um, It was a bit of a mess of a game, but it was actually quite fun. Aubameyang scored a hat-trick, including two penalties. Chancel and Bemba scored the fourth. Well, he scored the second Marseille goal, but the fourth, the other goal outside of the hat-trick. Uh, Brian, Brob- Brian Brobby and Chuba Okpom with the goals for Ajax. It was very much a back-and-forth type of game. Um, top of the group is Marseille on 11 points. Brighton are second on 10. They're both through, and it does now come down to the last game to see who tops the group. Marseille have 11 points, Brighton have 10. Athens have four. At the moment, they're in pole position to get into the conference, to drop into the Conference League. Ajax bottom with two points. Ajax host AEK Athens in their final game, and Brighton host Marseille. So Brighton will be looking for the win to top that group. The first time those sides played, it ended in a draw. The first time Ajax played Athens, it ended in a draw. In Group C, Sparta Prague beat Real Betis 1-0. Quite the surprising result, but Betis remained top of the group with nine points. Rangers are second. They drew 1-1 at home with Aris Limassol. I think they'll be quite disappointed with that result last night. Um, Betis, nine points. Rangers, eight points. Sparta, seven. Aris Limassol, four. As things stand, nobody is certain of getting through to the knockout phase. The final round of games will see Rangers go to Real Betis. And Betis needs something from that game. So should they get a draw? If Sparta Prague go to Aris Limassol and win... Rangers will drop into the Conference League and not advance. Uh, Group D, Atalanta won 
Sporting won. Uh, Skimaka scored for Atalanta. Edwards equalised for Sporting. In the other game, Sturmgratz lost 1-0 at home to Rakow. Atalanta are top. They are through 11 points. Sporting are second, 8 points. They are through. It just comes down to the final game to see who tops the group. And Actually, I don't think... I don't think it matters. Let me just check. No, it doesn't matter. There's a three-point gap and and Atalanta have the head-to-head. So they will finish top regardless. Sporting will finish second. It comes down to Sturmgratz or Rakow to go into the Conference League. Uh, Sporting hosts Sturmgratz. Rakow hosts Atalanta. Atalanta, nothing to play for. So you'd probably say advantage Rakow. Sporting have nothing to play for either, but at least they're at home. In Group E, Liverpool 4, Lask 0, Diaz 2 from Gakbo and 1 from Salah. Uh, Toulouse 0, Union St. Gilles 0. In the other game, Liverpool top, guaranteed a spot in the last 16 with 12 points. Toulouse have 8, Union have 5 and Lask have 3. So it comes down to that final week. Union hosts Liverpool, Lask hosts Toulouse. Toulouse need to win to get into the Conference League. Sorry, Lask need to win to get into the Conference League. Toulouse need a point to advance to the knockout phases. Union must beat Liverpool um, by a, a couple of goals and hope that Lask beat Toulouse by a goal or so to advance. Um, it looks like Liverpool and Toulouse will get through. Group F, Maccabee hyphen nil. Ren 3, and Villarreal 3, Panikonithos 2. Ren are top, 12 points. Villarreal second, 9 points. They're both through. Panikonithos 4 points, Maccabee high for 1 point. The final game will see Ren host Villarreal, but, and, and, the, the the thing here is, Villarreal have a game in hand. They have to play Maccabee Haifa next. That's in Villarreal. It's next Thursday. If Villarreal win, they'll remain second, but they'll have that final game away to Ren to potentially top the group. Maccabee, Maccabee if they win, they will tie Panic and Ithos on points and those sides face off in the last game. So that group is going to get interesting. Now you'd fancy Villarreal to beat Maccabee at home. So Maccabee would have to go to Panic and Ithos and win. Those sides drew nil-nil in the first game. They'd have to go there and win to drop into the Conference League. Otherwise they'll be out altogether. If Villarreal win, they'll actually go top because they have the head-to-head advantage over Ren at the moment. They won 1-0 the first time the sides played. Now that puts the pressure back on Ren. They would need to win by more than one goal. Well, actually, a 1-0 win at home would be enough because they'd have the goal difference advantage. So still a lot to play for in Group F. In Group G, uh, Servette won, Roma won. Romelu Lukaku scored for Roma. Sheriff Tiraspol 2, Slavia Prague 3. Slavia are top 10 points. Roma, 
sorry, 12 points. Roma have 10. They're both through. Servette will finish third. They've got five. They're through to the Conference League. Sheriff Tiraspol have been eliminated. Roma hosts Sheriff. Slavia Prague hosts Servette. It looks like it looks like Serb, uh, Slavia Prague will top that group, pushing Roma into the qualifier, which is less than ideal. Um, group H, Bayer Leverkusen just continued to win games. They beat Hacken 2-0. Uh, Victor Boniface and Patrick Schick scoring the goals, while Molda and Quarabeg threw 2-2. Bayer Leverkusen have 15 points. They're guaranteed to top the group. Quarabeg have seven. Molda have seven. All to play for in the final game. Molde have to go to Leverkusen while Quarabeg hosts Hacken. Quarabeg will beat Hacken, who have no points from their five games. I would have a tough time seeing Molde beat Leverkusen in Leverkusen. So, in all likelihood, Quarabeg will go through in second and Molde will drop into the Conference League. In the Conference League, then, Group A. Lille beat Olympia 2-0 and Slovan beat my Faroe friends 2-1 in the Faroe Islands. Uh, Lille are top, they're advanced. Slovan are guaranteed to go through. As yet, we don't know who'll top that group. 11 points and 10 points respectively. And then the other two have been eliminated. In that last game, it is Slovan at home to Olympia and Lille home to the Faroes. If both sides win, Lille will top the group. Lille just need to win and they're certain of topping the group and going straight into the round of 16. In Group B, um, we mentioned Braublik losing 2-1 at home to Maccabee Tel Aviv. Ghent beat Zorhia 4-1 last night. Gift Urban on the score sheet there. Ghent are top on 13 points. Maccabee have 12. Zorhia have 4. Braublik have none. Ghent and Maccabee are through. They face each other. They're going to play in Serbia on the 14th. And as things stand, if it's a draw, Ghent will get through top. If Maccabee win, they will go top. Obviously, if Ghent win, they stay top. Zori will host Braublek in the, I don't know, Wooden Spoon Award game, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Victoria Pleasant are going to top Group C with 15 points. They beat Balkany 1-0 last night. Second place is still all to play for. Dinamo Zagreb went to Astana and beat them 2-0 in a bit of an upset. They now jump into second place. They've got six points. Astana and Balkany have four points. Dinamo play Balkany in the last game, while Astana have to go to Victoria. Now, so Victoria, with nothing to play for, can rest pretty much everybody. So that could play into Astana's hands. But with Dinamo being home to Balkany, that is quite the big advantage there. Uh, Group D, Bodo Glimt 5, Lugano 2, and Besiktas 0, Club Bruges 5. Besiktas are not having the best of seasons. They are currently, I believe, 5th in the league. No, they've risen to they've risen to third. They've risen to third, uh, but they are nine points off top. Uh, but the European campaign has been a disaster, taking one point from five games. Um, Bruges are top, thirteen points. 
Bodo are second, 10 points. Lugano, four points. Besiktas, one point. Lugano hosts Besiktas. Bruges hosts Bodo in the last game. A draw does Club Bruges top the group. If Bodo Glimt win, they would need to win by two clear goals to top the group because Club Bruges beat them earlier in the competition. In Group E, Aston Villa 2, Legia Warsaw 1, Moussa Diaby and the returning Alex Moreno with goals there. Uh, Azad Alkmaar beat Zrinski 1-0. So, Villa are through and they only need a point from their final game, which is away to Zrinski, who've only taken three points to secure top spot. Legia second on nine, Azad Alkmaar third on six. They face each other in Warsaw in the final game. Legia knowing a point is enough to stay ahead of them. If it comes down to it, they and they win, they need Villa to lose. And then it gets a little bit complicated because when they played each other, uh, Villa lost the first game 3-2, won the second game 2-1. So the head-to-head is 4-4, which puts it on goals scored. At the moment, Villa have three goals more scored, so it could come down to Dulegia beat Alkmaar by three or four goals. I, I just don't see Villa losing away to Zerinsky, to be honest. Um, group F, Fiorentina 2, Genk 1, and Kukuriki 1, Ferenc Varos 2. So as things stand, Fiorentina are through. Ferenc Varos second on nine points, two behind. Genk on three points, Kukuriki are out. In the last round of games, Genk will play Kukuriki. You would have fancied them to win that game. Fiorentina will probably want to top the group, so I don't think they'll rest players ahead of that game against Ferenc Varos. So you could see that game end in a draw. Now, a draw is enough for Ferenc Varos to get through, but they'd like to top the group, clearly. Um, In their head-to-head with Genk, should they end up level on points... It ended 1-1 on aggregate, so it would come down to goals scored, and Ferenc Farage at the moment have more goals scored, but Genk have the easier final game. Group G, HJK 2, Aberdeen 2, Eintracht Frankfurt 1, PAOK 2. So PAOK are top, they will qualify, they will qualify top of the group, they are through to the round of 16. Eintracht will finish second with 9 points, they'll go into the knockout round, Aberdeen have three points. HJK have two points. The last two games, therefore, are basically irrelevant. PEOK host HJK. Aberdeen host Eintracht. It would be great if Aberdeen could win that game. Eintracht have nothing to play for. It would be great if Aberdeen could end end off their uh, European run with a win at home. They've they've made a good fist of it. They've put forward a good showing. They went to Eintracht and gave them a good game. They drew it home with HJK. They were very unfortunate not to beat PAOK at home. They were 2-0 up and then conceded three goals, including two late goals. 
They went to PAOK and got a great point. Drew away in Helsinki last night. If they can get a result, even a draw, even if they get a draw, it's a strong result. But it'd be great if they could win one at Pataudry. Um Finally then, Group H. Not a good night for the Turkish sides. Nordlesian 6, Fenerbahce 1, Spartak Tanava 1, Ludogorets 2 in the other game. Uh, Nordlesian are top with 10 points. Ludogorets have 9, Fenerbahce have 9, Spartak Tanava have 1. So any two of the three could still go through. Ludogorets host Nordlesian in the last game. And Fenerbahce hosts Spartak, so you would you would bet on Fenerbahce to win, and a win puts them through. So despite the hammering last night, a win will put them through. Nordlesjand have not only hammered Fenerbahce; they beat Ludogorets seven one the first time they played each other. So, I think Nordlesjand will be confident that they can beat Ludogorets in that last game. But you never know. You never know. Uh, so that is where we stand with the European competitions. Um, the FA Cup second round takes place this weekend. We have two games taking place today. Notts County against Shrewsbury Town. York City against Wigan Athletic. Tomorrow, Alfreton Town take on Walsall. Maidstone United take on Barrow. Wickham Wanderers take on Morecambe. Blackpool play Forest Green Rovers. Speaking of Forest Green, we'll come back to them in a sec. Uh, Cambridge United versus Fleetwood Town. Bolton versus Harrogate. Crewe versus Bristol Rovers. Peterborough against Doncaster. Gillingham against Charlton Athletic. Stevenage against Port Vale. Newport County, Barnet. Oxford United against Grimsby. Sutton United against Horsham, Eastleigh against Reading, Chesterfield against Leighton Orient, Aldershot against Stockport County, Wrexham against Yeovil Town, and AFC Wimbledon versus Ramsgate. Ramsgate are the lowest-ranked team left in the competition. So huge achievement thus far to get where they are. They play in the Isthmian League Southeast Division, which is the eighth tier of English football. Uh, If you've never heard of them before, I don't blame you. Their home stadium is the Southwood Stadium in Ramsgate. It holds 3,500 people. They're obviously based in Ramsgate in the county of Kent, East Kent, right out on the coast. So you'd imagine it's a little bit chilly. But what a great achievement for an eighth-tier side to get into the second round proper. Should they overcome AFC Wimbledon, they'll be in the third round proper, which is when all the big boys arrive into the competition. But the early rounds of the FA Cup are great fun. The FA Cup is something that should be cherished. It really is. It's such a shame that it's been diminished in recent years because of the money involved in the Premier League and the Champions League. I'd love if... Amazon or somebody were to say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to buy the rights to the FA Cup games and we're going to pump money into it and we're going to show them all 
we're going to create some sort of streaming app or something, like a, a separate app to their own streaming app where you can watch the FA Cup. It's not going to happen, obviously. But if the prize money was big in this competition, I think so many, so much more would be put into the competition by the bigger sides. Like if there was a prize fund of, I don't know, 15 million a year or something for the winner. And, you know, the semi-finalists or losers, they got 5 million, semi-finalists got 2 million, et cetera, et cetera. I, I do think it would just make the competition mean more to the bigger clubs, which would make it mean more in general. But I love the FA Cup. I grew up on the FA Cup. Like third round Saturday, to me, is one of the iconic dates on the football calendar. And when I was growing up, like you'd always be aware of the first and second round because it mattered and people would talk about it and there'd be talk about these non-league clubs making runs in the competition. As it stands this year, uh, York City, they play in the National League. Uh, Maidstone and Alfreton, they play in the National League North and National League South. I've done that the wrong around. Maidstone are in the Na- National League South. Alfreton are in the National League North. Uh, Barnet are in the National League. Horsham are in the Isthmian League Premier Division. That's a division up from Ramsgate. Eastleigh, Chesterfield and Aldershot are all in the National League. Uh, Yeovil Town are in the National League South. And then Ramsgate. So that's who we've got as non-league teams left in the competition. Unfortunately, we didn't get any non-league versus non-league draws. So we're not actually guaranteed to have any non-league teams in the third round. And it's just always fun. If there's a non-league team in, they get a lot of they get a lot of camera time. They get a lot of discussion because it's a great achievement. Like Ramsdale. Ramsdale, Ramsgate will have had to go through some of the qualifiers to get into this competition. Let's have a look. Yeah, they'll have come in in the preliminary round. So they've already been preliminary round, first qualifying round, second qualifying round, third qualifying round, fourth qualifying round. And the first round, this is their sixth match in the FA Cup, and it's only the second round. That's really cool to me. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me. But when we look at a football pyramid, and there's 10 levels of it that compete in this competition, for every one of them, they start off with a dream whether it's to win the competition as it is for the top clubs, have a run to the semi-finals maybe and get a day out to Wembley as it is for your lower and and mid-table Premier League clubs or even some of the championship clubs. Some of the championship clubs will be happy with, you know, if they got to the fifth round. Your League One and League Two teams, their big goal is just maybe to get a home draw against a Premier League club or, or go to one of the big stadiums at Anfield, uh, at Old Trafford, an Emirates, Stamford Bridge. For these non-league teams, just to get to the first round proper, 
is a big achievement. If they could get to the third round and maybe get a televised game, as is often the case, if a non-league team gets to the third round proper, they'll get a televised game, which is huge. I just love the competition. I think it's fantastic. I think the history of it is great. I think it's important that we hold on to the history of the game and that the FA Cup in particular is something that needs to be cherished. So many great finals over the years. So many great runs by teams, the the fairy tale story. I wish there was more money put into it so that it meant more. I really do. But you can't beat a good giant killing. You can't beat a good fairy tale run by a non-league side. A non-league side getting to round four or even round five is just incredible. Yeah. Anyway, on to the news. Uh, One FA Cup game, uh, Crew versus Bristol Rovers, has actually been postponed uh, due to a frozen pitch. So that game will not take place tomorrow. It has been rearranged for Tuesday, the the 12th of December. So uh, if you were planning to watch that, or maybe you live in the location of Crew and were planning to attend, that game will not take place. Uh, Jose Mourinho criticizes Roma's superficial approach. Um, you're the one in charge of the approach, Jose. Ange Postacoglu makes football a better place, says Pep Guardiola. Okay, Man United latest have defensive injuries hindered Onana. No, he's just not very good. Andre Onana. Eric Ten Hag says he is the second best based on stats in the league. But you know what? He just isn't. He just isn't. And if we look at just that one stat, goals prevented, the guy ahead of him, Thomas Kaminsky, plays for one of the worst teams in the league. That should tell you all you need to know about Manchester United right now. Um, There was a bit of a, a scuffle, a skirmish shenanigans and scallywag behaviour before Aston Villa's game against Leslie Warsaw. Um, shame on those that were responsible for that. Uh, what else do we have? Everton have launched an appeal against their points deduction. Uh, they've made a formal appeal and it will now be met with uh, it will now be overseen by a panel who will be appointed. They will hear the case, and I genuinely don't think there's much chance of anything changing. Uh, what could happen, though, is that Everton could face a further points deduction because another breach has been discovered. And they're also facing legal cases from Leeds, from Leicester, I believe from Burnley. Uh, And those, well, those could lead to major problems. Those could potentially lead to administration, which would be a further 12 points. Um, 
not a good time for the Ev. On to the gossip. Manchester United have joined Manchester City, Chelsea, Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund and Real Madrid in the race for Palmeiras, Brazilian winger, Estevão Willian. Every top club in Europe is in the race for Estevão Willian. That kid is maybe the highest regarded young player to come through in Brazil since Vinicius Jr. Maybe even more so than Hendrik. Um, He's certainly higher thought of among the Palmeiras fan base that I try and keep track of and Google Translate their tweets. Uh, Because I I watch a lot of Palmeiras because I'm a big fan of the manager and they're a really good team. And uh, a lot of the fan base seems to think that this kid is even more talented than Hendrik. Uh, Al Itahad winger Jota wants to join Ange Postacoglu, but Postacoglu is unsure about a move for the Portuguese. Uh, We'll see what happens. Manchester United have joined Newcastle, Roma and AC Milan in showing interest in Serhu Garassi of Stuttgart. Jim Ratcliffe wants his recruitment team to focus on homegrown talent. That's going to get expensive. Arsenal are in negotiations with Japan defender Takihiro Takihiro Tomiyasu over a new contract with his current deal set to expire in 2025. Um, Okay. The Gunners are also confident of agreeing a new long-term deal with Ben White. Manchester United are in talks to sign Roma and Genoa defender Radu Dragazin. I bet they're not. Brighton want to open new contract talks with Roberto De Zerbi amid interest from Napoli and Real Madrid. Makes sense. Juventus are hoping to complete it. Actually, you know what? I don't care what Juventus did or do or did or anything like that. Uh, having seen them celebrate the life of Henry Kissinger, they can get to fuck. Everton insists their 22-23 accounts are well within budget, so they will avoid a second points deduction this season under new fast-track rules introduced by the Premier League. Um, I I think Everton's insisting is a little bit telling. Juventus winger Samuel Illing Jr. is now available at a price of $15.5 Okay. Mark Wehi is keen to remain with Crystal Palace until the summer transfer window to boost his chance of making England squad for Euro 2024. He is attracting interest from Manchester United and Newcastle. Newcastle would be a great move for him. Him and Botman would be an outstanding pairing. Chelsea target Kvitschakvatskalia may be more interested in a move to Real Madrid, according to his father. Yeah, I mean, everybody's more interested in a move to Real Madrid than Chelsea. Everybody's more interested in a move to Real Madrid than anywhere, other than maybe Barcelona. Manchester City are prepared to drop their interest in Lucas Paqueta if no resolution over the gambling investigation hanging over the player is found. Okay, well, that's that's that. Uh, right, last thing, just something for you to check out to get a little bit excited about next summer and the European Championships. Uh, the BBC have put up a really cool thing of the stadiums to be used in Euro 2024. Uh, You've got the Olympia Stadium in Berlin, home of Hertha Berlin, holds 70,000 people. 
It is an architectural masterpiece. The atmosphere can be a little bit hit and miss because it's just the way it's designed because it, it had the running track. It's quite a big open bowl, but it's a great, great stadium. Um, Cologne Stadium, the energy is a really nice stadium that holds 47,000. Um, it's a proper, it, a proper old school four sided stadium. Um, great atmosphere in that one. On to Borussia Dortmund, the Westfalen Stadium. I would argue probably the best atmosphere in Europe. 66,000 capacity for this competition because they're not going to be allowing the safe standing, um, which is a shame, but this is a magnificent stadium. Absolutely magnificent stadium. Uh, On to Dusseldorf, Fortuna Stadium, the Merkerspiel Arena, uh, capacity 47,000. Again, it's a a four-sided stadium rather than a bowl. The corners are filled in. It's one that when you watch games there, the atmosphere does seem to bubble quite well. So uh, it's, a, it's a strange thing where they're a second division team, Fortuna Dusseldorf, and yet the stadium is being used because it is such a good stadium. Um, the Deutsche Bank Stadium or Deutsche, Deutsche Bank Park in Frankfurt, uh, 46,000. It's a really good stadium as well. Uh, quite an intricate roof system. Um, Schalke Stadium is fantastic. It's one of the best in Europe, in my opinion. The Veltons Arena, 50,000. Retractable roof. They've done some work on it uh, to modernize it because it's been open for 22 years now at this point. Um, it's a great stadium. It's a genuinely great, it's a great place to visit. Uh, Hamburg, their stadium has a pitch that actually rolls out from under the stadium into like a patch of land left bare, left empty next to it so that the grass can be properly tended to. Uh, it's a very, very good stadium. 50,000 as well. It's again a, a ground that's seen quite a lot of Division Two football uh, because. Hamburg got relegated six years ago, having not been relegated before and have failed to get promoted again. Uh, the Red Bull Arena in Leipzig, 42,000. It's one of the more modern sort of, it's like a smaller version of the Emirates kind of, yeah, that kind of model. Uh, decent stadium though, without question. And then there is the piece, the, the resistance, the Alliance Arena in Munich, which is just a sensation. Uh, 67,000. Atmosphere is unbelievable. Amenities are unbelievable. It's one of the best stadiums in Europe um, and and highly recommended. And then finally, the Mercedes-Benz Arena in Stuttgart. 54,000 seater. Um, The atmosphere is a little bit hit and miss. The roof, again, doesn't hold the sound in well enough. But it is a good stadium. Like it's it's a cool stadium to look at. Uh, so there we go. But have a look at that piece yourself when you get a chance. Right. When we come back, uh, we're going to bring in Guy 
and we'll go through this weekend's game. So I will see you after this. Right, welcome back. So we're joined as always on a Friday afternoon by Mr. Guy Drinkle. How are you, sir? It's been snowing. Has it really? Well, because I live right like my town's by, literally got by the sea in the name. So it does it never lands, but it's like always on cars. Lovely. Yeah, it's just like loads of slush where I am. Oh, delightful. Mm. Sounds cold. It's not too, well, maybe because I'm sat with a heat, you know. But you know, that's probably, <laughs> um, the, probably yeah. the main reason you're not cold. I didn't, I didn't need a scarf or gloves when I walked the dog. If that answers oh, the question, that's not so bad. Not so bad. It is cold here as well, but not obviously as cold as where you are. Right. We have ten games in the Premier League. We have no Friday night football. We have no early kickoff on a Saturday, which is a scandal. We have no Sunday football. No, sorry, no Monday football either. We've got three. 3 p.m. kickoffs, a 5.30 kickoff, an 8 p.m. kickoff on the Saturday, then four games at 2 o'clock on Sunday, and a 4.30. You can be guaranteed that had Liverpool not played in the Europa League last night, they would be playing at 12.30 on a Saturday, though. Yeah, it's weird. I think we mentioned it at the end of last week's show, didn't we? It's weird how police can do late games in other parts of the country other than Manchester. But, you know, hey-ho. Yeah, the Greater Manchester Police. Like, Look, all police are overworked and underpaid, but still, pop yourselves on. You, you can do Spurs at 4.30 on a Sunday, but Liverpool had to be... 12.30 on a Saturday. That's just foolish. Absolute foolish. Um, but that's for Sunday. We have a couple of games on Saturday. Like, because I, I was looking at the fixtures and I was thinking, surely there was a game they could have flexed out to the early kickoff on a Saturday. But like, che- uh, Chelsea-Brighton would have been a contender, but Brighton played last night. West Ham played last night. Liverpool played last night. Villa played last night. So that's why they are all on at 2pm on the... Sunday, City versus Spurs is by far the game of the week. So that had to be the, the big kickoff on Sunday. But like surely Newcastle against United could have been on 12.30 tomorrow. Like I understand Arsenal and United did play on the was it the Wednesday. Yeah, they played the Wednesday night. So maybe that's why. Didn't I want to think give them... this is the first season of stopped Wednesday teams playing at half twelve, isn't it? Because they got all that syst- all that out the system with Liverpool, obviously. That's probably what it is. So it would have had to have been one of the three PM kickoffs that got moved. It could have been Forest against Everton, but it's bad enough that that's on TV anyway. The problem is that I don't think anyone really wants to watch uh, at least two of the. 3 p.m. kickoffs, and the other one includes a team that played at, at 8 p.m. on uh, on a Wednesday, so they can't play in Arsenal. Nobody really will want to watch, I don't think, the other two 3 p.m. kickoffs. Yeah, it's not a great Saturday, is it? No. Not from the last game, but that's more potentially com- funny. Potential comedy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not good. It's not a it's not a good slate of games. I mean, look, Arsenal Wolves will be a fun game. I think that's the one we'll start with. Is that is that where we start? That is where we start. Uh, yes, it is indeed. Uh, I mean, Arsenal obviously comprehensive win midweek, but what doesn't really teach us anything 
because Lens, I'm pretty sure, are a mid-table league gun team now. Yes, they are. Um, whereas Wolves are clearly dangerous. They've obviously beat a couple big teams, um, especially City comes to mind, but Spurs, dramatic, obviously, in the last couple of minutes. So they are dangerous in that in that regard, but Arsenal at home, I'm pretty sure their record's pretty much perfect. Um, I think Arsenal are obviously favourites, but wouldn't surprise me if Wolves at least get a goal or two. Yeah, I mean, you'd you'd have to fancy Arsenal at home. They have been they have been uh, fairly ruthless in their in their approach. Uh, no Fabio Vieira, no Thomas Partey, no Emil Smith Rowe, and no Julian Timber for the Gunners. For Wolves, uh, Rainit Nuri's a doubt. No Pedro Neto, which is still a blow. He's hopefully back in about a week or so, but he won't make this one. And then Joe Hodge is their long-term uh, absentee. He had shoulder surgery. Craig Dawson is back after suspension. So, look, they don't have a lot of top-level players. Neto and Aitnuri are two of the ones they do have. So being without both of them is a big blow. I still think I still think Matthias Cunha can cause their center backs a lot of problems. I thought El Yawahi caused Saliba a lot of problems considering how little of the ball Lens had and how bad his teammates were. I would say Wolves are every bit as good as Lens and I think Matthias Cunha is a better player than him. I think he's going to be able to cause both center backs some trouble. I think Huang can cause them some trouble. I still think Arsenal will win because A, they're at home and B, they're just a better team than Wolves. But I do think Wolves can give them one or two moments of of issues. So I'm going to go for Arsenal to win 3-1. Um, and I can see it being a thing where like Arsenal go one up, Wolves have 10 to 15 minutes where it looks good, but Arsenal get a second goal. And then it's just sort of cruising from there for the Gunners. They'll get a third. Wolves will pull one back late off a set piece or something and it'll be a comfortable enough win for the Gunners. Yeah, it's a shame Neto's not there because him against Zinchenko would probably be quite fun. Um, but yeah, well, it's a shame when he's always injured because he's probably one of the most fun players in the league. Um, anywho, um, next game at three o'clock we have Brent and Brentford against Luton if I can actually speak. Um where are Brentford in the league? This team sort of like gone in the Crystal Palace mould where you just don't care anymore. I mean, two losses on the bounce in the league, but I suppose they are against Liverpool and Arsenal, so nothing to worry about there. Whereas Luton obviously win last week against Palace, and as mm. you mentioned, Roy had that penciled in as a draw at the minimum, so that was a very good win for Luton. Um, I think we've said this since the start, or certainly since they got a bit more settled in the league. I think out of the promoted teams, they've definitely been the ones who've settled in quickest and actually changed up a bit. Whereas we mentioned every Burnley just playing like a championship team and Sheffield United just don't have the facilities for it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> Luton have, have stayed the truest to who they were when they got promoted. They've got largely a similar group of players, either the same player or a slight upgrade, an approximation of what they had. The style of play hasn't changed. They're very direct. They're aggressively direct, and they're not apologetic at all about it. They're happy to be who they are, and credit to them. 
They've come up with an identity. They've kept that identity. And while I do think they'll go down, they'll go down having a scrap. Mm. Like, they're not going to outplay anybody. There's not a single team in this division, even Sheffield United and Burnley, that Luton Town can outplay. But they can outfight a bunch of teams. Mm -hmm. And because their style is... I mean, you don't see many teams play this way anymore. There's just not a lot of teams around that play that long ball, aggressive, direct style that are heavily reliant on set pieces the way they are. Some teams do it, but they mix and match it. Like Brentford, for example, do go direct, do play long, do rely on set pieces, but they mix that in with some lovely fluid football through the middle of the park. Luton don't really bother with fluid football. They've got some lads that can put their foot in the ball and play a bit, but they understand that physicality is their kind of primary weapon. And um, thus far, they've done better than anybody thought they'd do. That's the be-all and end-all. They've done better than anyone thought they'd they'd do. They've got nine points. They've continued with, like, they've not made sweeping changes. I know Sheffield United was more more forced on on Mm. them than anything. But you look at Burnley, you had one of the best teams in championship history. Big sweeping changes. Luton had a few. Yeah. made a big impact for them. Ogbena. Ogbena has made a good impact. Menji. Menji's been a decent position. Yeah, the keeper's done really well, to be fair. Um, Ross Barkley's been okay as well. Yeah. But like again, it's like you said, it's not sweeping changes. Whereas with Burnley, like they they spent over a hundred million, brought in a bunch of players. Um, <clears throat> Sheffield United, as you said, a couple of sales got forced on them. Probably made more changes than they actually wanted to, but at the same time, didn't make enough changes. Um. Like, here's the thing. If Everton don't have 10 points taken off them, Luton are in the bottom three. And they're one of the three worst teams in the league. There's no doubt about that. Everton's cheating has just caught up with them. Cheating from previous years, I should say, has just caught up with them. But Luton are five points ahead of Everton. They're four points ahead of Sheffield United. They're grinding out some results. Yes, they've lost eight times in the league, but that's still two times less than Sheffield United and three times less than Burnley, and only once more than Everton and Bournemouth. So it's not like they've been swept aside. Nobody's hammering Luton at the moment, whereas we've seen both Burnley and Sheffield United get battered. And even look at their defensive record. They've conceded 23 goals. That's one more than Fulham, two more than Forest, the same as Wolves, the same as West Ham, the same as Brighton. Like... Their defence has been relatively strong. The bigger issue for them is they don't score enough goals. Only 12 in the league this season. Sheffield United have 11, Burnley have 10, and that's it. Um, They've got one less than Crystal Palace, who are notoriously stingy in front of goal. The worrying thing for me is they've got six less than Wolves, and we've talked about Wolves the last couple of years and their inability to score goals. The Luton story is a good one. I talked about it on Wednesday a little bit. Mm. I'm really happy that Luton are back in the top flight. It's a shame some of the fans have let them down a couple of times. Hopefully, as they settle in to the league, the fans will cop themselves on and maybe grow up a little bit. But Luton are are showing that they belong. They are. They're showing they belong in this division. And it may be a thing that they get 
maybe only take another 10 points across the rest of the season. But for the first third of the campaign, they've given it a go and they've shown that they can mix it with some of the bigger clubs. They're not getting swept aside. I do think they lose this one. Uh, Brentford have a lot of injuries is the issue here. Rico mm-hmm. Henry, Aaron Hickey, Ivan Tony, Kevin Shade, Nathan Collins, all definitely out. Matthias Jensen and Mads Rorslev, a doubt. Damsgaard, De Silva, major doubts. Luton, no Dan Potts, no Mads Anderson, no Reese Burke, no Sambi Conga still, which I think he could be important to them. Um, they're hoping that Isakabore is back after a concussion. Uh, Collie Woodrow is a doubt, and Marvis Nakamba is out, which is a big blow for them. I think Bright, I think Brentford will win this game at home. Brentford are a big physical team, and I think they are uniquely set up to deal with the long ball assault from Luton. So I'm going to go, go with a 2-0 Brentford win. I think Mbomo and Wissa will just cause a lot of problems with their pace and movement for this Luton defence. Mm-hmm. We'll go 2-0. Yeah, it helps having a six foot six right back as well. <laughs> in AJ, whatever his name is. Um, uh, last three o'clock kickoff. Do you fancy a championship game, Dave? So I fancy a championship game. This uh, is the Burnley. most championship of games. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, right, it's a good opportunity for both to pick up a result. Mm. Burnley are playing a championship team, so... They should win. Going this would have been year. a great game. At the end of last <laughs> yeah. season, I'd have been loving to watch this game. Um, no, not so much. But of these 3 p.m. games, it is probably the one I'll watch. Um, it, both sides need the win here. They ha- Both sides have to win this game. And unfortunately, only one of them can. Or we end up with a draw. Lyle Foster still away from the group. Um, Murick is a doubt and Jack Cork is a major doubt. Sheffield United there are without Chris Basham, who I think is done for the season. Uh, Reese Norrington Davies is out long term, as is John Egan, as is Tom Davies. Daniel Jebison, hopefully, he's going to be okay. And Rian Brewster is out, and it looks like he'll be out for a while as well. Burnley are at home, and for no reason other than Burnley are at home, I'm picking a Burnley win. We'll go 2-1 to Vincent Company's team, uh, which would hopefully, which will definitely lift them off the bottom of the league because they'd go above Sheffield United and potentially they could go above Everton as well. But yeah, we'll go, we'll go 2-1 to Burnley in a game that I'd imagine I might be the only person who isn't a Burnley or Sheffield United fan. Well, I'll be there. Oh, the, the two of us. I'll be there. Yeah. There we go. All we can report back. Report back on Monday. <laughs> we'll do an hour on it on Monday. Yeah, absolutely. We won't talk about any other game. <laughs> Unless I'm in, well, it's definitely got a nil-nil in there a little bit. Hasn't it? Um, final question on this, because it is the most important game of the weekend, obviously. Um, if Burnley, let's say lose, but even get a draw... <laughs> It's tough because company did such a good job last year, but you'd have to think if Burnley's new newer owners do want to confirm safety, they are going to have to make a change because company's had a long chance in this, spent a lot of money, mm-hmm. and the well, they're going to be in the relegation zone one way or the other. But if they don't beat a team like Sheffield United, they may have to go 
a Brexit manager route or certainly a more experienced manager route? It feels like that. It really does feel like that. They're be, they've been so naive in, in the division since coming up. And I mean, they've taken four points. And you look at their positive results this season. And they beat Luton, which, you know, was a good result. And they drew at Nottingham Forest. Both of those came away from home. They've taken no points at home this season. Considering what Turf Mirror was under Dyche as well. Exactly. Like, even, even in the EFL Cup, they won away to Salford. The only three positive results they've had this season have all been away from home. Now, they have had a tough run at home. But at the same time, Crystal Palace went there and won. West Ham went there and won. They were ahead in that West Ham game until the 86th minute. They've got to get this off their back. They've got to get a win at home because they go to Wolves next. Then they go to Brighton. They're both tough games. Then they get Everton at home and they're going to need a result in that one as well. Then they get Luton at home in mid-January. Like They're going to have to pick up points at home because I don't see them getting enough points away from home to survive. You can't. You can't stay up if you're not taking anything at home. And like they've already had a bunch of home games where they weren't even competitive in some of them. Like City went there, it wasn't competitive. Villa went there, it wasn't competitive. Tottenham went there, it wasn't competitive. They gave United a tough game. But Chelsea battered them at home as well. And the thing is, it's not just about survival. It's about those fans that are turning up at Turf Moor to support the team, they're going to turn on the manager and on the team. And what if they stop turning up? It's not like Burnley are locking 15,000 people outside the ground every week because it's that capacity. They need those people coming to the game week after week. There isn't a big Burnley community waiting to get a ticket if this lot stop going. So if Burnley fans just say, you know what, I'm not spending my Saturday going to watch this team lose. I'm going to go and go to the cinema with the kids or something, whatever. I'm going to take my kids to the cinema. I'm going to take my wife out for a day. I'm going to do whatever. I'm going to sit home and I'm going to watch something else. Then that will start to hit the pockets of the owners. And that's a second problem. Like you need to maximise every penny you can make in the Premier League if you're a club like Burnley who could go down. And like we said, they've spent a lot of money. They're heavily invested in this season. Heavily invested. Going down would be pretty disastrous for them. So I think Vincent Company probably has, at the very most... As things stand, the owners are probably saying, let's give them until that little break in January around the FA Cup third round and the, the gap out the week after that when there's no Premier League games. And then we make a decision. But that's assuming he picks up points along the way and they reassess then. Mm-hmm. If he loses this one, I, I could see him going over the weekend, genuinely. Like four points from 13 games is abysmal. 
Sheffield United, five points from 13 games. Between them, between them, they've taken as many points as Luton. Like, that's embarrassing. I know well, Everton have four points, but they've taken 14. What, were Luton fourth in the championship last year? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Let me just double check. Luton Town, uh, table 23-24. Luton finished third. Third, right. But Burnley finished on 101 points. Yeah, exactly. Sheffield United had 91. Luton were on 80. They were 21 points worse. Like, if you take 21 points from where Luton finished on 80 and work your way down, you end up with Bristol City, who were 14th. So the gap between first and third was the same as the gap between third and 14th. You know, there was a, a huge gulf between those sides last season. Even the 11 points that Sheffield United finished above Luton, you take that and you work your way down and you get to Sunderland and Blackburn. Now, it's not a big gap, but it's still a gap. You know, you're still down in, in seventh spot. You're missing the playoffs in all likelihood. Um, yeah, I, I think they've just, both of them need a win. I think both of these managers are unlikely to still be in charge. Mm-hmm. Heck, it just seems like he's left with the smoking gun, though, to be fair. Yeah, I Paul, I, I feel sorry for Heckenbottom, to be honest, because he's a decent manager. Mm. Like he's done he's done well there. He he didn't do well at stops before he got there. But like he took over a really hard situation with Barnsley. From Barnsley, he earned the Leeds job. Leeds were a horrible place to go at the time because of that owner. He didn't get a real opportunity there. got 16 games and got binned. He didn't have a good time up at Hibs, but he only lost nine of 32 games. The issue was he drew far too many. He wasn't terrible. But he took this job on in a situation where they were getting rid of Chris Wilder. Like he'd He'd gone there to coach the under-23s. And Chris Wilder was leaving, and they were like absolutely going down. There was like 10 games left or 12 games left and they were 12 points from safety. So he took over a team that he knew were going down. He spent a year in the championship trying to rebuild them. And then last season, he brought them up in in what was quite a, a surprise. I don't think many people expected them to come up last season. But they had a, an outstanding campaign, and he brought them up. And like, you look at you look at their business in the summer, and I highlighted this in the summer. It was a combination of not doing enough, but also you, you lost your two best players. Like, understandable, Illaman and Jai was sold because he had twelve months left in his contract, and he didn't want to renew. Mm-hmm. And Marseille are a Champions League club that came in for him. So he wanted that move. They granted him the move and fair play. Sanderberger, his contract was running out in 12 months as well. It was a surprise that he'd been there as long as he was. So you took the, the fee you got and you sold him. But they're, two, they're your two best players. And like another big blow as well. And it was more, a, at that point, it was more a psychological blow. But Jack O'Connell retiring. Jack O'Connell, prior to his knee injury, was right on the brink of an England cap. He was great. And he was outstanding for them. 
And then he gets that horrendous injury, has a couple more like setbacks with it. I think he got bad infection in it as well. And unfortunately, that's career over. But like he, if we look back to when he got hurt, there was talk of top clubs looking at him and a fee of 20 to 25 million. But instead, he ends up injured for a couple of years and then he retires at 29 because of those injuries. Like he, he didn't play, he played two games in 2021, got hurt, and then never came back. Three seasons sat on the sideline. A fellow that was outstanding for them in their promotions from League One into the Championship, in the Championship, and then the promotion into the Premier League. And then he was great in that first season. He was very much on the rise. He was, I think, 26 years of age. He has been linked to big clubs. They were probably rubbing their hands together thinking, right, we'll, we'll cash in on this lad and we'll get a good fee for him. And instead, he ends up, you know, that type of thing hurts a club. And you look at what they did in the summer in terms of bringing players in. I mean, Alston Trusty, I mean, he, we hadn't seen him for Arsenal. It was kind of an unknown in the Premier League. Gustavo Hammer's a good player, but again, unproven in the Premier League. Vinicius Sousa, unproven in the Premier League. Benny Traore, unproven in the Premier League. Cameron Archer, unproven in the Premier League. You didn't buy players that we knew were going to be able to play. You got Tom Davies in on a free, but he's mm-hmm. been injured since he arrived. You got Las- Yasser Larushi, Luke Thomas, and James McAtee on loan. Only Luke Thomas has real Premier League experience. James McAtee they had last season. That Not was big. Really top five league experience either. No, that's the thing. And the other thing is, remember, they had Tommy Doyle in on loan last season as well. And they lost him, and he's now at Wolves. And I don't understand why they didn't buy him, because it's clear. Like, City let him go to Wolves on a loan with an obligation to buy for, I think, Mm. $8 Why didn't they buy him? He was vital to them last season. Why didn't Sheffield United buy him? They needed a goalkeeper. They didn't address that. They needed a centre-back. They didn't address that. Like, you signed two left-backs... But no, go- no centre back. Oh, well, other than Austin Trusty, who again question marks. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. Like, I really like the Cameron Archer signing. I think Hammer's a really good player. I think Vinny Sousa is a good player. I think Benny Traore looks like he might be something that could be worth getting excited about. But at the same time, I look at that squad and I just it screams to me lack of quality. The goalkeepers, Wes Fotheringham, with the greatest respect, is not a Premier League's calibre starting goalkeeper. Like There's a reason the bulk of his career was spent with Swindon and Rangers. That's League 1, League 2 calibre. You cannot be, at the age of 29, vaulting into a Premier League team. Defence, Baldock passed his best. Max Lowe came in from Derby, Never quite made the grade at the Premier League level. Austin Trusty, I still don't know if he's any good. Chris Basham, he's well past his best. John Egan, he's past his best. I like Luke Thomas. I think he's a good signing. I like Ahmed Hodzic. I think he's going to be good. Like Jack Robinson is the most frequently used defender. We know he's not good enough for the Premier League. We've seen it for years. Jaden Bogle, I'm glad he's finally getting a run and he looks decent, but, you know, that's about it. 
Yasser Larushi, we don't know if he's good enough. Reese Norrington Davies is a good player. He's injured. Uh, Sajdev, I don't know anything about. Uh, Jilly Bayuba, another wing back. Where's the centre backs that you need? The midfield, like John Fleck, he's not good enough for the Premier League. Hammer, he's a good player. Ollie Norwood, I didn't think he was good enough the last time they were up. Uh, Koulibaly doesn't get a look in for whatever reason. Vinny's good. Davies is decent. Ben Osborne, I mean, I'm not sure he's good enough to play in the Premier League, if I'm being honest. Mm. Like, he came up with you the last time, and he was a squad player. Like, And yet he's playing fairly regularly now. Uh, Sleman is decent. McAtee's a very promising player. I do like the look of Andre Brooks, I have to say, the young winger that they've got. I, I do like the look of him. He's got a bit of versatility about him. But the forwards then, take out Archer, take out Benny Traore, right? You've got Rian Brewster. Since joining, he has played 65 games and scored five goals, all five of which came in the championship. Last season, he scored one goal. One goal last season. Uh, Ollie McBurney. So you signed him in 2019. He's played 144 games, scored 25 goals. 15 of them were last season in the championship. In the Premier League for Swansea, he played 16 games and scored no goals. And for Sheffield United, he has played 66 games and he has scored nine goals. So you don't have any reliable goal scorers. You've got some question marks in midfield. You could you could cobble together a good midfield, a good midfield, not just a decent midfield, a good midfield out of Vinny, Sleman, Davies, Koulibaly, McAtee and Hammer. Like you'll get a good midfield out of that group. Your defence is just not up to scratch and your goalkeeper's not good enough. You didn't do enough. So when the season comes to an end and you get relegated, it can't be a surprise to the ownership or anything. And that's why I feel sorry for Paul Heckenbottom. I don't feel sorry for company. He got all the money to spend. He made all the decisions. He decided to sign 43 wingers and no striker. But Paul Heckenbottom didn't get nearly enough backing, didn't get nearly enough support. He didn't have final say over transfers there. And they didn't do enough. Like, they didn't do nearly enough. Did they... I would estimate they broke even. Archer, Hammer, what they probably... They probably spent 20 million max. At a guess, they spent 20 million. Like, that's not keeping you in the division. You'll be a good team when you go down. But unfortunately for Paul Heckenbottom, he won't be the guy in charge. And that's not that's not fair. And all he'll be tarnished with now is, oh, well, he got sacked. It won't be, well, he took them up and did a great job. It'll be, yeah, he got sacked by Sheffield United. But that's, that's just really unfortunate. Anyway, we've gone down a wormhole here. Uh, I'm picking a Burnley win, 2-1. We love a relegation tangent, don't we? <laughs> um, let's well, we got another relegation tangent potentially, but Forest against Everton, Dave. Um, probably more interestingly than the game, I think it was John Percy the other day said there is pressure building on Steve Cooper. Um, 
and I can't remember which journal it was. It was one of the forest ones. I think they said Lopetegi still lives in the Midlands, so there is an obvious opportunity there, I suppose, for forest, because they are ambitious. And Lopetegi took the wolves' job. Why wouldn't he take the forest job? Um, I wonder, is that true, that he still lives in the Midlands? I think Maybe. He's been, seen, he's been seen at, like, I think he's been seen at, like, Leicester games and stuff Oh, like really? That. I, I wonder so. if it's something to do with, because when he was coming over, there was like he had to get some sort of permit or something, with some sort of work permit. And I wonder if he needs to stay a certain length of time to ensure that he doesn't have that type of process again. Like if he went back to Spain, it might be quite hard for him to get back into England if he got another job. Possibly. So yeah. maybe he's just using England as a base until he finds something. Um. If Forrest sacks Steve Cooper, I guarantee you Steve Cooper's back in work within a month. Well, like he's he, two clubs that could probably yeah. take him. Burnley would snap him up in a second. Mm. Um, Crystal Palace have been credited with interest. Sheffield United, I think, would show interest. Um, Steve Cooper's a good manager. Yes, results could do with improving. Uh, but I think that will start. Teo E is out. Felipe is out. So you're losing a starting centre-back, though one that's not all that good. But Awani is the big one. I mean, he's out till potentially March. That's huge for them. Um, Sanger, he was ill. So hopefully he's back in time for this weekend. For the Ev, uh, no Deli Ali, no Andre Gomes. Amadou Onana is a doubt. Calvert-Lewin is a slight doubt. And Beto, I think, is out of this weekend's game. Everton, second from bottom. Forrest, sixth from bottom. But Everton have actually had a better season so far than Forrest because they've taken 14 points from their games, which is one more than Forrest. They've scored two less goals but conceded one less goal. They've won one more game but drawn two less games. This is a very like this is literally a pick'em where both teams are really evenly balanced. Forest at home is their advantage. But at the same time, last time out they were at home and they lost to Brighton having gone one up. They did beat Villa at home, which was a really good result, but then they drew at Luton the time out before that. How are Everton on the road this year? Probably not good because they don't travel all that well. Traditionally. I think they're better away than home. Are they? That's magnificent. They probably are, actually, because they lost their first few home games. So away from home, lost to Villa, drew with Sheffield United, beat Brentford, beat West Ham. Actually, yeah, three wins away from home. Only one win at home. That's impressive for Everton. Uh, they've taken 10 of their 14 points away from home and only only four at home um I'm just gonna go with the home side I'm just gonna go with Forest Forest have only lost once at home this season and the home form kept them up last season I'll go the Forest win I'll go one nil Morgan gives white to get the winner yeah, yeah, I think so. I think it'll be an important game either way. But um, if Forrest win, they'd probably 
separating himself from the relegation zone. Just that much, aren't they? But anyway, last game, this is 8 o'clock kickoff. That was par 5, so these are both on telly, I should I should have said. Uh, Newcastle against uh, Man United, Dave. Um, I mean, Man United, they've only played bottom half teams in the Premier League, but they are a, in a good run in the Premier League. But we saw when they play good, better quality teams in Galatasaray in midweek, and Newcastle, albeit XG and all that jazz, did get a point and then a dodgy penalty decision against them PSG in midweek. So the quality is definitely going up. Depend doesn't matter how many injuries Newcastle have, they're just playing the way they play. So I, I just can't see Man United tr- even troubling this Newcastle team. Like even like Jamal Lascelles, he was basically crap since Rafa left. He's come back in, he's been excellent. It just doesn't seem to matter who the player, they're just very consistent team. This season in the Premier League, Manchester United are yet to draw a game. They have won seven, no, won eight, sorry, won eight and lost five in the Premier League. Their wins, Wolverhampton Wanderers, currently 12th, Nottingham Forest, 15th, Burnley, 20th, Brentford, 11th, Sheffield United, 18th, Fulham, 14th, Luton, 17th, and Everton, 19th. Their defeats, Tottenham, 5th, Arsenal, top, Brighton, 8th, Crystal Palace, 13th, and Manchester City, 2nd. So every top half team they've played against, they've lost. And all the bottom half teams they've played against, bar Crystal Palace, which is the outlier, they've no, they've won. So they've had a really they've had a really easy run in terms of the split, where they've only played four top half teams against nine bottom half teams. And in those games they lost, Tottenham beat them fairly comfortably. They were unfortunate against Arsenal. Brighton wiped the floor with them. And City wiped the floor with them. The only time they've actually put a, a decent fight up was that Arsenal game. Palace beat them at home 1-0 in what was a scruffy enough game. But Palace are a bottom half team. Newcastle are a top half team. Newcastle are a team that finished in the top, top four last season. Newcastle have ambitions to finish in the top four again this season. I don't see United troubling them at all. No Casemiro, no Martinez, no Evans, no Eriksen, no Sancho, no Malasia, no Ahmed Diallo, and Mason Mount a major doubt for this one. Uh, Newcastle, no Tonali, no Jacob Murphy, no Dan Byrne, no Callum Wilson, no Elliot Anderson, no Sean Longstaff, no Sven Botman, no Joseph Willock, no uh, Harvey Barnes, no Mankio, and no Target. Tunar, like fairly decimated at the moment, injury-wise. 11 players absent, which is, I think, level with Spurs. Actually, Spurs have 10, and only and a couple of them are suspensions. 
Mm-hmm. Two of the worst injury situation in the league right now. Tenali's a suspension, but the other 10 are all injuries. But I still think Newcastle will have more than enough. I don't think United will cope well with Isak. Anthony Gordon's playing well. Almiron's playing a decent level at the moment. Now, they're, they're light in midfield, but Lewis Miley has come in and he's looking very, very assured. So you'll have a, a, a young player in both midfields because I'm guessing Kobe Manu will keep his spot in the United team. Yeah. But Gamerish will be the best player on the pitch, in my opinion. Fernandez probably second, but then it's like Isak would be third. Joe Linton might be the fourth best player on the pitch because Rashford is so out of form it's hard to really look at him and say, oh yeah, well, you'd go with him next. Newcastle have a better goalkeeper. They're a better defensive team. They've got a better midfield. And their attack, while not great, has scored 15 more goals than Manchester United this season. Like, think of this for a second. United are one point ahead of Newcastle in the league. Newcastle have scored 15 more and conceded two less. But United have had such an easy run in the league that that's why they've managed to pick up 24 points. And less tax in Champions League group, even though they're, they're failing, but they don't have to that's play the thing. An easier uh, group, yeah. and yet they're going out potentially bottom and Toon might qualify. But like Newcastle, they've played Villa, Their start to the season, Villa, City, Liverpool, Brighton. In the first four games, they played as many top-half teams as United have played all season. They've also since played West Ham, Arsenal, and Chelsea. And in those games, they lost to City, they lost to Liverpool, they lost to Brighton. But... They got a draw away to to West Ham. They beat Arsenal at home. They hammered Chelsea at home last time out. The only bottom half side to beat them is Bournemouth. But they've won two of their top half games. And they look a better team now. than Actually, they've won three of their top half games because they beat Villa as well. Like Newcastle are just a better team than Manchester United. They just are. And, and Eddie Howe's a better manager than Ten Hag. I'm going 3-0 to Newcastle on this one. I think United are going to get... I think they're going to get torn apart here. Newcastle are aggressive, powerful. They move the ball quickly. They transition really well. And I think United will struggle to deal with them. And I don't see how their centre-backs cope with Isak. So I'm going 3-0 to the turn. Isak's bloody fantastic, isn't he? He's brilliant. He is genuinely brilliant. Like, when they signed him, obviously the same summer as we signed Darwin, there was a little part of me that thought, oh, I might have preferred Isak. Now, Isak, without question, I think has a higher ceiling than Darwin. But there was definitely more sort of bust potential with him. Because his skill set is quite unique for a number nine, and because you are also going to have some concerns about how he would cope with the physicality of the Premier League. Now, he has had some injuries, but 
in terms of dealing with the centre backs and you know backing up into them and standing his own, I think to be fair, he's he's done really really well, and he's obviously a, a sensational player with the ball at his feet. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It wouldn't surprise me if Madrid can't get someone like Haaland. It, it wouldn't surprise me if they go for someone like him. Yeah, uh, yeah. Anyway, that's another tangent. I'm gonna nip in the bud. <laughs> um, on to Sunday then uh, the last two we'll talk about are the TV games just for the people listening uh, Bournemouth against Villa Dave um, Bournemouth turned it around a bit recently we say it every time because we have to do Villa different t- team away from home um, I think this could be quite a fun game I think it'll be a decent game yeah I'm actually quite looking forward to this um, now obviously it's on at the the same time as our game so I'll have to record it and watch it afterwards. But I do think this will be a good game. Uh, Villa, no Buendia, no Mings. Bubakar Kamara suspended is a big blow. Ollie Watkins has a bit of a niggle. And Bertrand Traore is out. Uh, Bournemouth, no Tyler Adams, no Max Ahrens, which is a big one. Lloyd Kelly out for a while as well. And obviously Alex Scott is out for a while. Marcondes, Fredericks, and Randolph all out too. That's that's a lot of players for Bournemouth to be missing. Um, Villa coming off a, a good win in the week in the Conference League, like a, a morale-boosting win, given that they'd lost that team earlier in the competition. They've confirmed progression to the next phase of the Europa League. You wonder, will there be a little bit of a hangover in that one? I'll go the draw. I'll go 1-1. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I could. It's one of them where you could think it could be anything. I think this next game could be like that as well. Because what we know about Chelsea, Dave, is they like teams attacking them because they've performed relatively well against the better teams in the league. Obviously, Brighton not in the best form in terms of league, but what we know, will know is they will bloody attack Chelsea. Um, so I reckon this could be a lot of goals um, and not a lot of good defending. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Brighton, 23 goals conceded. Chelsea, 20 goals conceded. And and Chelsea's whole thing is that they're strong defensively because of Thiago Silva, but they're not really. It's just... Teams don't exploit him nearly enough. Uh, Chelsea, no Fafana, no Chilwell, no James, no Kukurea, no Lavia, no Augusto's a doubt. Uh, Nkunku's still not ready, but he might make the bench. Um, no Chalaba and no Carney Chukwemeka. Brighton got some bad news this week, but Ansu Fati ruled out for a while and Tariq Lamptey ruled out for a while. Stupinen is out until sort of mid-January, so they're in a tough situation with with, with left-back in particular. Uh, No Danny Welbeck, no Enciso, no Webster, Dunk is suspended, Dahoud is suspended, Solly March is out maybe for the season. That's tough for Brighton to go to Chelsea missing a bunch of players. That's going to be tough. I think all things considered, considering Brighton had the Europa League in midweek as well and don't have the biggest squad, I think I'm going to go Chelsea to win this game. 
I'll go 2-1 to Chelsea. Yeah, I think that could be fun, but it's a tough one with the injuries there, as you mentioned. Um, next up, we have Liverpool hosting Fulham at Anfield, Dave. Uh, we know Liverpool's home record since, is it like last spring, I think it is now? Um, or in spring, not last spring. Um, I should say Fulham, we, we know the issues. We talk about them every week. They're not that threatening going forward. But I suppose they did score three goals on Monday, albeit having two of them were penalties, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, Liverpool should be favourites for this, but Thursday, Sunday, always throws up the odd surprise. Yeah, it does. It does, to be fair. Um, no Diop, no Muniz, no Adama for Fulham, but Paulinho's back. No Alcantara, no Robertson, no Jota, no Becker, and no Bessette for Liverpool. Allison's obviously the big one there, but Liverpool outstanding at home this season, uh, winning every home game by two or more goals. I expect that to continue here. I expect Liverpool to win this game. Fulham don't score enough goals. They're not exactly great defensively either. Liverpool are very good going forward. Now, defensively, they can be got at, but Van Dijk is playing at an incredible level at the moment. So the defensive record is perhaps better than the performances have suggested. But I expect Liverpool to win this game. I'm going to go 3-0 to the Reds. No, what did I say on scouted? 2-0? I think I said Um, 2-0. I'll stick with 2-0 then. Yeah, I think Carl went big, didn't he? I think Carl went 3 and I went 2. So I'll go 2-0. Yep, hopefully you're right there for our sakes. Uh, on to the TV games, then we have West Ham hosting Crystal Palace, Dave. Um, and Palace losing to Luton last week's not great. I know the the injury issues they picked up in that game are just so horrendous. I mean, Czech de Kure was excellent last season. Maybe not the same this season, because I think he's obviously new partners and stuff like that. But he was mint last season, and Eze's only just come back. and So it's so annoying. Yeah, I mean, Dekure, he hasn't quite been as good as last season, but a big factor in that also is Roy Evans or Roy Hodgson is now the manager for the full season as opposed to just the end of that season. Um, he had thrived under under Vieira. Playing with Lerma as well meant his role changed a little bit. As a it's so tough. He'd been playing just sensational football. And it was all becoming so easy for him. He was just gliding across the pitch, making things happen, drifting past players with that lovely gait he has as he dribbles. He's out. Dekure's out potentially for the season. James Tompkins is out. Dean Henderson is out. And Raksaki is out as well. Um, Not ideal. Not ideal for Palace. Now, West Ham, sorry, West Ham obviously played midweek. Antonio's out for a little while. Bowen, potentially missing out. Mohamed Kudus should be okay. Uh, Let's just have a look at West Ham's team from last night and see what they went with. I assume Danny Ings started up front, but I didn't watch the game. No, Mubama, the youngster, starts up front. That's a big plus for him to get the start and and Ings to be on the bench. I don't Um, think Ings not scored. Ings hasn't scored in about three years. Has he not scored for West Ham? Uh, No, he definitely scored at least one, but it might have been a penalty. Danny Ings. Danny Ings for West Ham United. You come on down. 
Uh, he has played 35 games and scored three goals. Hasn't scored this season. He's got 13 appearances and no goals this season. Three in 22 last season. Now, he was only there, of course, from the January on. Mm-hmm. Um, so not ideal. Not ideal at all. Um, West Hammer at home. I feel like West Ham being at home is the is the big factor here, but and the lack of Dakure, the lack of Eze, I'll go with a West Ham win, one nil to West Ham in an ugly game. How's this on TV at Chelsea Brighton? Is <laughs> I was just going to say that. I know they've got to get the fit in, but Jesus, I mean, everyone's on TV in two di- three days' time, so it yeah, yeah, mock mock, Not right? Yet. Last game then, and a fun one. Uh, Man City Spurs, I mean, with all the injuries and suspensions for Spurs, you'd have to say Man City. You probably would even if they weren't in, injured and sus- yeah. have a suspension. But Spurs do have voodoo over Man City. They do. They do. Now, City are home, and that's the big factor here. City are at home. Spurs have lost their last three games in a row, having taken the lead in all of them. They're only the fifth team in Premier League history to accomplish that uh, achievement. Um, First team in nine years to do it as well. City have no KDB, unlikely to have Matthias Nunes, but Kovacic should be back. Uh, Perisic is out, Bentoncourt is out, Van de Ven is out, Madison is out, Sessegnon is out, Solomon is out. Papi Matar Sar is a doubt. Romero is suspended for one more game. Richarlison, um, he could be involved, but it seems unlikely. Isbasuma is back, which is at least a big plus for them. And uh, Alfie Whiteman is out. He he's the third or fourth choice goalkeeper anyway. Uh, but he's out with a, a broken ankle, I think it is. Um Spurs are missing too many important players, in my opinion, to go there and get a result. City, after a draw with Liverpool, which is a second draw in a row after the mess of a game against Chelsea, I think they'll want to get themselves back on track. Slotting some midweek as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the thing. And especially knowing that Arsenal... Well, they'll know the Arsenal result by the time they play, and Arsenal will almost certainly win this weekend. And, and Liverpool. And Liverpool will win, and Villa could well win. Like, Villa could easily go to Bournemouth and win. So City could be fourth by the time they play, and they'll know that they don't want to let any kind of gap open above them. Um, I, I think that'll inspire City. I think they'll win that game. I'll go 3-1 to City. It wouldn't surprise me if Spurs go one up again, though, because Sun mm-hmm. does well against them. But I think City will come back and win that game. And that's the last game. And that's it. That's all we have for the week, folks. So we will be back on Monday. Take care of yourselves. Have a good weekend. Bye-bye. Network.